Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. I want you to know there are some boring churches in the world today, but you are not sitting in one of those churches. Can I get an amen? Number two is they say that not only do they not go to church because it's boring, but they say that I don't like going to church, man, because you learn things that don't apply to your everyday life. And I would actually concur with that as well. There's a lot of preachers that actually pontificate on a lot of theological jargon that really don't connect your, your, your Monday through Saturdays. And I believe that great churches are able to open up this book to actually affect the way that you live your life Monday through Saturday. I want to preach messages that don't just affect you on Sundays, but actually impact you on Tuesdays. Can I get a good amen? And the third reason they say that people don't like church is they say that it's full of judgmental people. Now, I've been to some churches that were very judgmental. I remember going to one church when I was going through a tough season of my life. I was kind of in a, a bad place, and I sat down. I remember getting tapped. I'm like, no one said hi to me. I remember I walked by everybody. I, I was like all alone. And just wanted someone to, to care about me, and no one even acknowledged me. And I sat down in the seat, and finally, someone tapped me on the shoulder, and I thought, finally, someone's going to show me some love. And I heard an old guy say, you're sitting in my seat. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, there is a lot of judgmental, critical, spirited churches, but you are not in one of those churches today. And we love you right where you are. Can I get a good amen? We invite atheists, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims. It doesn't matter where you are at today. You belong here. Can I get a good witness in here? All right, and so that kind of starts things off. Is that okay? I'm gonna, uh, I like to have a good time. I think God, again, has a good sense of humor. I think if I wasn't in the ministry, I probably would have pursued becoming maybe an average stand-up comedian. Tough crowd. <laughs> Jokes already aren't landing, okay. <laughs> we're in trouble. Uh, Mayday. Uh, no, uh, if you got your Bible this morning, we're gonna go to John chapter 20, and I wanna just, if I could, uh, draw your attention to what makes the resurrection so dynamic. I believe many people uh, go to church during Easter. I think the problem is, is many of us go to church every Easter, but we don't really want to come back the week after Easter because it wasn't really sticky enough to get our attention. And I want to just talk to you today about how one day transcended all time and why Easter's resurrection power should actually impact the way that we see life, live life, and view life. And so today, if you got your Bible, John chapter 20 is where we're turning. I will read 18 verses out of this passage. So if you haven't read your Bible in a couple of years, we're going to catch up today. And uh, after I read, I'm going to pray real fast. The great scholar and theologian M.C. Hammer. Tough crowd. <laughs> he said that we have to pray just to make it today. And I agree with him. And so we're going to pray after I read 18 verses. Uh, I might tell a couple stories, a couple jokes. And then um, my goal will be is I want to teach uh, today on really uh, what makes Easter so dynamic and how that affects your life in my life. And so if you have your Bible, John chapter 20, let's read the resurrection narrative here. It says, now on the first day of the week, verse 1, chapter 20, are you with me? If you don't have your Bible, you can stare on the screen, I think, behind me. It says this, that Mary Magdalene, someone say Mary. Mary. How know there's something about Mary? Mary. <laughs> Slow this morning. She came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other, other disciple. Let me just stop here. Whenever you read the book of John and you read about the other disciple or the disciple in whom Jesus loved, John was talking about himself. So he's a really humble guy. 
tomb. Says the other disciple were, uh, were th- therefore, they went out, the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So both ran together, and the other disciple, John, outran Peter. How do we know that he outran him? Because he said, I outran Peter. He came to the, 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 to the tomb first. And stooping down, he looking in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon came following him, and went into the tomb. And they saw linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around Jesus' head was, was actually lying there with the linen, and, but it was folded together in the place by itself. Then the other disciple, John, who came to the tomb first, thanks for the reminder, went in also and saw and believed. For as yet they had not known the scripture, that he must rise from the dead, Then the disciples, Peter and John, they went back to their houses. But interesting, verse 11, Mary stayed. And she stood outside of the tomb weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said, then they said to the, to to Mary, woman, Why are you weeping? She said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. I think the saddest thing in life is not to know where your God is. Where did you put God? Where where is my Lord? And it says this, while she was saying this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there. And when she saw Jesus standing there, she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, let me just stop there, guys. Do not try this at home. He is the only one that gets away with talking to females this way. Tried it on a couple occasions, didn't go well for me. He said, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener. Someone say, The Gardener. I want to talk to you today about what makes Easter dynamic, and my title is The Gardener. The Gardener. The Gardener. She said to him, Sir, talking to the gardener, if you carried him away, you better tell me where you put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Interesting that God was not recognized until Mary heard God call her by name. My sheep know my Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher, he said, do not cling to me for my, I've not ascended to my father, but go, but go, but go, tell my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told, came and told the disciples that what she had seen about the Lord and what he had spoken to her pertaining these things. It's interesting that the first preacher of the resurrection was a female. Come on, all the ladies said amen. You don't hear that in some churches. Let's pray this morning. We're going to have a good time today. If you're taking notes, I want to talk to you about what makes Easter dynamic, and my title is The Gardener. God, I just thank you for the next few moments that you would bless our time together. I pray that as we we open up your your Bible, as we begin to teach out of John chapter 20, that your, your presence would come. We know that church just studies the body and just the Bible itself without the spirit of the body, and without the spirit of, uh, of the Bible, is just an empty shell. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to meet us where we are, 
to fill this room with your presence. And I ask you that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave would actually dwell in this room and would quicken our mortal bodies. We love you, even as Paul wrote, and we welcome you to have your way today. And God, we pray that you would do what you can for the Lakers next season. In Jesus' name, all the Christians said amen. Is it okay to pray for sports teams? Guess not. Okay. Um, you ever, uh, you ever, who, who, anyone here, any, we have any green thumbs in Orange County? Any green thumbs here? If you don't know what a green thumb is, uh, I'm not talking to you apparently. Anyone enjoy gardening? Gardening. I, I think it's interesting that, uh, uh, it's, it's just kind of a interesting paradigm. What makes Easter so dynamic? I started thinking about this idea about how gardening is just such a, it's kind of a fascinating description of God that he would actually first be identified at post-resurrection as a gardener. And I started studying gardening last night because I know nothing about it. And I was doing some really heavy research for all of you guys. And I found myself on these videos about gardening. I had no idea. I was learning all these fascinating things about gardening. I I watched one video that said that your plants like aspirin like you do. I was like, wow, what an enigma. And uh, I was watching these videos and just learning about gardening. But I, I read one article that said many people consider gardening very relaxing. I'm like, who are these people? Have you ever tried gardening? I'm like, all I know about gardening is when I've dug holes for trees, it's been the worst spent time of my life. In Idaho, where we live, we had all these river rock stones underneath the dirt. So I go about an inch and a half before I hit a rock. And it literally was the longest hole I've ever dug in my life. We had neighbors that were right on top of us. And uh, so we planted all these arbovitas. Is that how you pronounce it? I was really proud of myself right there. It just came to me. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Planted all these arbovitas uh, in our backyard and uh, probably like 15 of them just to give us some privacy from the neighbors. And literally, I, I dug 15 holes with river rock under the soil. I'm like, people say it's relaxing. Nothing relaxing about gardening. I don't know if you've ever been poked by, I said last, last service, uh, a, a rose petal. I was like, that's tricky. I meant to say a a thorn from a branch of a rose, but uh, I don't know if you've ever trimmed a rose bush and got, you know, poked by a a thorn from a rose, not pleasant. I don't know if you've ever actually fertilized a plant, and it's always fun to play with with manure. It's like, what were you doing? Oh, I was just relaxing in the manure, and I smell like it now, and my house smells like it. Just, you know, it's relaxing. I'm not trying to offend you if you're a gardener. I'm actually, I think it's a great hobby. I want to pick it up one day. Um, but uh, I was just thinking it's fascinating that after the resurrection, Jesus identifies himself as a gardener. And I started reading through this, and I started just studying throughout the Bible that God has a fascination with gardens, that the Bible actually originates in a garden, that humanity actually was born in a garden. The first vocation of humanity, Adam and Eve, occurred in a garden. There was a river there. There was trees there. I think God likes gardens because of the variety. We see that God is a God that loves variety. There's so many variations of, of roses and, and different, different types of palm trees and different species of flowers. God is a God that loves variety. That's why I love the fact that heaven is going to be a colorful, uh, amazing, diverse place. It's like we're not speaking just English in heaven. There will be every nation under heaven will be represented. It is, it's going to be a place of all tribes, all nations, all languages, all people groups, 
Personally, I want to be in Africa's choir because they sound way better than America's. Come on, can I get an amen? Been to Africa, man. And it's crazy because we see that God is interested in variety. And God is a, God actually, he, he makes Adam and Eve and he puts them in a garden. The original fall of humanity occurs in Genesis chapter 3. And many people say, you know, Mark, I go to church once a year, kind of out of a religious obligation. But to be honest with you, I kind of have a problem with God. Because how could a good God permit all these evil things to happen or cause all these evil things to happen in the world? And I always find that people ask that question, they don't understand that they've either never read or they've never understood that we live in a fallen world that started in Genesis chapter 3. You see, it says that Adam and Eve, before the fall, they enjoyed five things. Before the fall of humanity in the garden, we know that number one, before the fall of humanity, there was no guilt and there was no shame. They lived in a perfect world. There was no guilt and there was no shame. I would actually add, there was no calories. How could you say such a thing? Theologically, I believe that. How do you know? Because it says they were naked and they were unashamed. Now, you ain't walking around naked with your spouse unless there's no calories. So there's no shame. There's no guilt. It says that they were walking around and, and they didn't deal with that. That came after the fall of humanity in the garden. Secondly, before the fall, not only was there no guilt and shame, there was perfect relationships. There was no, there was no, uh, there was no dissension in families. There was no divorce. There was no, and by the way, I actually believe that Genesis chapter three was the greatest divorce ever recorded in history. It was a separation between God and his sons, God and his daughters, that the fall of one couple separated us perpetually from the presence of God. And it says here that not only was there, there was perfect harmony in relationships. There was number three before the fall which is contrary to some people that are pessimistic about marriage, is there was meaningful marriage before the fall. I've heard guys say, well, man, it must have been a byproduct of the fall, marriage. No, it was a reward before the fall to have meaningful intimacy with your, with your husband or your wife. And fourthly, before the fall, there was authority. God gave humanity authority over creation. Do you know that the Bible actually says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God gave us the authority to exercise God's rule on the earth. What does it mean? It means that we're not a victim of living life, but God would give us authority, almost like you have authority to make your yard look like you want it to look. God gave us authority to actually steward creation, to steward the earth, and I believe that we should all be good stewards of the earth. Can I get an amen? And so he gives us authority over creation, and number five this is going to blow some of you away. Do you know that actually before the fall, there was jobs? There was number five before the fall. There was meaningful work. And some people say, Mark, when I die, I'm going to go to a disembodied place in the cosmos. I'm going to sit on a cloud. I'm going to wear some sort of diaper with a big safety pin, and I'm going to play a harp. I'm like, I think you described hell. Doesn't sound like heaven. Do you know that when we die in this life, when we open up our eyes in the next, there will be, listen to me, there will be five things. There's going to be no guilt and shame. There's going to be no splintered relationships. There is going to be intimacy with other people. That you're going to have a meaningful relationship with other people. God is going to give us authority to rule and to reign 
and eternity. There's going to be new heavens and new earth is the language of revelations. And there's going to be, guess what? Meaningful work. You see, see before, before the fall, there was no thorns. The ground wasn't cursed. You didn't even have to water plants. It says there was a dew that came up from the ground that actually watered the plants. And so they were able to actually enjoy the benefits of creation without all of the heavy labor of the responsibilities. There was, are you following me? Meaningful work. So what in the world are you talking about? It's Easter Sunday, preacher. Why don't you bring this back to Jesus? Well, guess what? Adam sinned as the original gardener. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, that through Adam's mistake, the first Adam disobeyed and caused a curse, a shadow of curse, a darkness to overlay over all of humanity. And isn't it interesting, watch this, that it says that they were in, chapter 3, verse 7 says that when they ate the fruit in the, in the, they immediately, it says this, they sewed fig leaves together, which what is always the response, without God, you'll always try to find a way to cover up your mistakes. Like, I would never be so shallow to worship God. It's like, well, you might not worship God, but you might worship alcohol. And you might not bow your knee to Jesus, but you might bow your knee to entertainment. See, we're all made to worship something. We don't choose uh, if we worship. We choose, as human beings, what we worship. Some of you worship the NFL. Some of you worship the stock market. Everybody worships something, but let me say something to you. Very bold. Nothing will fulfill the void in your heart other than worshiping the God that made you. Let me say it another way that's kind of audacious. The fastest way to emptiness is to give your best to anything other than God. Nothing leads to bankruptcy faster. Why did I get my dream house and married a, married a model and, 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 and got the job and the car and the career? And why am I still emptier than I've ever been before? Could it be that means never give you meaning? That only God can give you meaning? That means can express meaning but never give meaning? I'm preaching better than you're responding this morning. Can I get an amen? I'm telling you that I believe that God wants you to know this today, that he is, listen, in the very beginning, there was a garden narrative, a garden scene. Adam made a decision that separated humanity from the presence of God. And watch what it says in verse 8. And they heard God coming into the garden after they disobeyed him. And the first thing they did was, it says they hid and they hid behind the trees. So they're in the garden. They sin, they're running from God, and they're hiding behind the trees. Let me show you kind of a fascinating verse. Can we put it up on the screens, guy? Uh, guys, uh, John chapter 19. John chapter 19 is interesting, verse 41. Watch what it says here. Do we have it? John 19, 41. If we don't, I can read it to you. It says this in 41. Now in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a, there was a garden. Watch what it says here. There was a, there was a garden where Jesus was crucified. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Watch, it's kind of interesting. John, when he's writing chapter 20, if you read it at a surface level, you have no idea that this guy is actually giving you, because John is the same one that wrote the book of Revelations. He's trying to give us a way bigger picture of who God is than just saying, oh, and Mary thought it was the gardener. He's trying to let you know and me know that there's, there's a narrative story because basically the Bible has 1,189 chapters. Three of them are about how God designed humanity to live. Then the other 1,186 chapters are about God's redemptive plan to get us back to his original intent. Jesus comes as the second gardener. 
It says that cursed is everyone, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a... Do you know that the crucifixions were made out of... Isn't it interesting that John would write that Jesus was crucified on a tree next to a... So isn't it interesting that John's trying to show us that as Adam screwed everything up in the beginning, that Jesus would come thousands of years later... And in the same backdrop, the same scene as Genesis chapter 3, he would say, you know what, just like everything got screwed up in a garden because of trees, God would come and redeem humanity by hanging on a tree in a... And guess what, when he rises, Mary's like, this is so weird. Are you the gardener? Where did you hide the body? And, she, and Jesus goes, Mary. And, he, and immediately she goes, oh my gosh, Jesus. He says, do not cling to me. Scholars say that he said, do not cling to me, because Mary was trying to do two things. She was trying to cling to who Jesus used to be. And she was trying to cling to actually who she used to be. And what resurrection does is it gives us a new mindset and a new framework of who God is and who we are because of what he did. I'm sorry, I'm going to pretend I'm at a conference and not at church this morning. Is that okay? I want you to know that actually, this is crazy, that Jesus, his message is important because of what he did, not just because of what he said. For instance, all of the miracles, all the teachings, they would just be teachings and miracles if the resurrection never occurred. Do you know that the crown jewel of Christianity is a virgin birth and a resurrected Jesus? Because listen to me, the church was started by literally pretty simple people that were eyewitnesses. They were eyewitnesses of this idea that, listen, it says in, in Corinthians 15, it says that in Jesus was first seen, which is funny, because even Paul didn't want to acknowledge that the first preacher in the Bible was a woman. He says he was first seen by Cephas, and then by John, and then by the 12, and then he was seen by 500. And it says at one time, Jesus was witnessed after the resurrection by 500 people at one time. He actually, when he writes Corinthians, he says, some have gone on to go to sleep, which is Paul's nice way of saying they died. But he said, all these people, listen to me, Christianity, if you're being logical today, it makes zero sense that people would manufacture a story of resurrection unless it occurred. Why, why would you be incentivized to tell the world that he raised from the dead if you knew that that story would get you killed? I'll tell you why they would do it, because they saw it. And not only did the early disciples see the resurrection of Jesus, they were actually under the persuasion that if he could get back out of the grave, that if you kill me, crucify me upside down like Peter, if you throw me in boiling oil like the apostle John, if you would throw me before lions and other animals like Andrew, that guess what, the same power that got my God out of the grave will also cause me to rise out of the grave. Christianity matters. I mean, Jesus, what he said matters because of what he did on this day. He came out of the grave as a gardener. And I believe that gardeners do three things. Number one is they plant. I believe if you're here today, you're like, Mark, well, God can't use me. I got good news for you. Gardeners like to get their hands. I'd actually go further to say this. Gardeners can only garden if there's dirt. I'm sorry, I'm going to pretend I'm just going to keep it together right now. I feel like shouting right now, running around the stage. I'm going to control myself. 
I just want you to know, I know we're conservative in Orange County here, but I want you to know, I really think that we get excited if we realize that God wanted to be a gardener because he likes to work with dirt. I remember being offended when I was younger reading Genesis because it says that God made Adam out of the dirt of the ground, the dust of the ground he made Adam. And I'm like, God, you could have made humanity out of anything. Why dirt? Why didn't you make us out of diamonds? Come on. Gold. Come on. Jewels. Emeralds. Why didn't you make us out of something that was valuable? And God spoke to me and said, Mark, dirt is the most valuable thing on the earth. It is the only substance on the earth that has the power to actually grow a seed. Do you know why we're made out of dirt? Because God likes to work with dirty people because he grows his seed, which is the word. It says, Jesus says that the word of God is like a, you know where seeds grow in? They grow in, and I would actually say the more dirt you have, the more plants you can grow. I'm too dirty to be a Christian, Mark. No, you're a great candidate to actually meet the great gardener. Come on, give God a hand clap. I feel his presence in here today. Some of you are shell-shocked right now because you're like, oh my gosh, I feel happy right now. Some of you are like, wait, I feel like this is, there's life in this room. I've been to some churches that are just so dry and dead and stagnant. Do you know that church without the spirit of Jesus is just an empty body? And some of you grew up in legalistic churches and you don't like going to church every week and you don't go to church every week because you went to a school or you went to a church that wasn't seminary, it was more like cemetery. And it was dead. There was no life. There was no power. There was no passion. The church was birthed out of a passion. Twelve young guys changed the world. Some are like, I don't know if I can go to this church. The pastor's too young. Well, you'd have a hard time in the early days. Because Peter, when he started the church with 3,000 new converts, he was probably in his late 20s. John could have been as young as 18. The church was started with a bunch of college young adults. Why, my pastor has to be my age or older. Well, I don't know, man. You have a hard time in the early church. I read one thing that said, well, uh, denominations looking to hire a pastor must. Here's the requirements to be a pastor of this church. He must be 36 years of age. He must be married. He must have 10 years of experience. And he must have his seminary degree. And I thought to myself, dear God, Jesus could not be the pastor there. You know what religion does? Is it puts parameters on being used by God that God never put on humanity. If you're going to clap, give him a good hand. I feel something in here today. God is alive. He's powerful. He's good. And guess what? He can use dirty people because gardeners always plant in the dirt. Number two, not only will gardeners plant, they love their plants, so they will, number two, they will prune. And it's going to get quiet in the Presbyterian church just for a second. But I believe that God prunes because he loves. Let me say this to you. Pruning is not cutting off things that are dead. Pruning is letting God cut off things that aren't growing the right way. The Bible says that a child left to himself causes shame. Some people say, I don't like going to church because sometimes I feel uncomfortable. I'm like, then I don't like going to the gym. Same logic. I go to the gym and my trainer, Gemini, he starts pushing me to do things. You know, you know the trainer that eats the weights? I have that trainer. He's like, come on, Mark, four more, four more. I'm like, dude, go home. You're done. You know, <laughs> leave me alone. But it's crazy that we go to church and we just want to be comfortable, but we want to go to the gym and we want to be pushed. Why do you want to get pushed at the gym? Because you want to, I don't want to grow in church though, man. I just want to be comfortable. 
I want to sit here like the cover girl for the book of Lamentations. I want to sneak my way into the back door of heaven and maybe hope that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Come on, somebody. God didn't call us to sneak into heaven. He put us on the earth to make a difference. What you get paid to do is your career, but what you were made to do is your call. And there's way too many people living under the water table of God's purpose for your life. God has you alive. You're alive. I don't care if you're old or you're young. If you're sucking oxygen, there's still a plan for your life. Well, I'm not a preacher. Guess what? You can preach at the car dealership where you work. You can preach, come on, and you can love the kids that you teach in your class. You can love your mom or your dad, your brother or your sister. We are all called to make a difference somewhere. But you don't, we don't make a difference because we want to be comfortable. We don't want to be pruned. I've learned that if you leave a tree to itself to grow wildly, it never has the right shape. I had, a, I had this tree in my backyard in Idaho, my dream house that we built that I missed. You have a house you want to donate, we're up for it. We we're looking to buy a house and we can't afford one yet. Um, <clears throat> kidding, seriously though. Uh, we had this really cool plant in the backyard. It was like a bonsai bush. And uh, we planted this bonsai bush. And I'll never forget this, that I bought it and it looked really cool. It looked like Mr. Miyagi got a hold of it. It's a karate kid throwback. Mine for... Some, we'll keep going. Um, Mr. Miyagi, Google it. Um, is he, uh, he, we had this bonsai bush, and it was crazy, is we left it alone, and literally after like one season, it didn't look like a bonsai bush anymore. Because what I realized was, is the gardener came over one day, I hired this guy, I'm like, hey, can you make this thing look cool again? And he said, oh yeah, yeah, I'll make, I'll, and he just like, it just like gave it a fade. And this, this thing looked like a bonsai bush again and I thought what did you do and he just said this to me he's like oh yeah if you don't keep these things pruned they lose their shape you know what I think happens to many humanity much of us is we want to live life without God and we have no shape and we don't have a shape you don't know who you are what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? Who am I supposed to marry? What should I major in? When should I retire? Where should I retire? Should I move to Idaho? The answer is no. The rest of California. Telling you right now that God will, listen to me, he plants in the dirt. He prunes what he loves. And number three, God always empowers us to produce. You know what gardeners do? I was watching this again, documentary last night. was powerful. Three o'clock in the morning. I saw this guy. He said, yeah, great nourishment for your compost is you get eggshells. And you actually, after you eat your eggs, put the eggshells in a blender and you actually bring them down. And he's like, there's great nourishment in the eggshells. And he said to mow over your leaves. I'm like, learn all this stuff. I'm like, I'm going to start gardening today. Um, Mow over these leaves and create compost. It creates the decaying process way faster. And the shells add extra nourishment. And he actually said this in, in another video. He said, put two aspirin every, every two gallons of water and pour it over your tomato plants. He says that the nourishment and the eggshells and the aspirin, all these different things, it causes the fruit to produce faster. You know what I believe the presence of God will do in your life? It'll always cause you to produce faster. I'm, listen, I'm, please make no. I'm not talking about religion right now. I'm not even talking about church attendance. My God. Some people think that, that church attendance and age equals wisdom. And I'm like, no. Sometimes, wisdom, sometimes age travels by itself. Come on. <laughs> Going to church makes you a Christian like owning an oven makes you a baker. It is not like confirmation. Oh, I go to church every week. Listen to me. I believe that what makes Christianity dynamic is connecting with God. 
It's not rules you keep. Some of you hate the church, you don't like church, because you're like, man, they told me what I can't drink, and what I can't smoke, and what I can't sniff, and what I can't inject, and what I can't go do, and where I can't go vacation, and what I, and all it is to you is rules and regulations. I've talked to many people that say, Mark, I don't like Christianity because all the rules and regulations. I'm like, I don't like that Christianity either. I don't believe in the Jesus you're talking about. Because the Jesus I know, listen to me, I do believe that he actually changes us. But I don't believe that he tells us you have to change to come in the club. I actually believe that we are invited in the club before we ever change. And I actually believe that his, his timetable on how fast we change, that's on, in his hands, not mine. Band came up, almost finished. Gardeners, they do three things. Is they plant in the dirt. They, love to, they, love, they prune because they love the plant. And they always empower what they plant to produce. You know what I feel like God wanted me to tell you today on this Easter Sunday? Is that some of you are clinging on to how you used to be or you're clinging on like, I just go to church and I think that being bored every Sunday is like doing God a favor. That's what religion teaches people. Well, I'm just going to go every week faithfully and I'm just going to endure God. God does not want you to endure him. Can you imagine telling your wife that at the altar? Hey, we're going to get married and I'm going to endure you. I promise to tolerate you the rest of my life. You know, what, you know what romance does? Is romance wants to actually fall more in love. And I think what we forget about Jesus is he wants us to have this romance, this passion. In Revelations, Jesus is talking to these churches and he says to one church, he goes, you know what you've done? You've done a lot of good deeds, but you have one thing I have a problem with is you've left your first love. God wants you to have the same honeymoon passion for him that you had at the end of your life, that you actually possessed at the beginning of your faith. I think it's so sad today that you see many Christians that maybe they became a believer in college, maybe in high school. I think I've heard, I read a statistic that 70% of Christians believe before the age of 21. And if you don't get reached before that window, it's way harder to come to faith. But I want you to know today that I fundamentally believe that whether you're old or you're young today, that God wants you to know that you can encounter him. That he has a plan for your life. That he's a good God. And I just feel like there's two groups that God told me to talk to today. There's the disenfranchised. That you're like, you know, I, I tried church. I went, I went to Christian school. I did all the religious duties. And honestly, you can't stand it now. It's like, I, I'm only here because my, you know, my family or my mom, my dad, or my wife wanted me to come. And I just feel like God wanted me to tell you today that he's actually collecting people that have been disenfranchised. I actually believe the Oceans Church is going to be really good at reintroducing people to the real Jesus. That, listen, some of you are like, I, can, I know the Bible, man. Well, you can know the scripture, but not know the spirit behind the scripture. Some of you study the Bible, you're like, it's dead, it's boring. Guess what? When you go to a, a, a funeral, you see a body, but it's a dead body because there's no spirit in it. And what Ocean's Church is, is we're a community that says, yeah, we believe in the scriptures. We believe in the person of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ. But guess what? There is a spirit that actually raised him from the dead. You know why he came? You know, you know what the Holy Spirit is? Jesus says, it's actually better that I go to the cross and die. Because if I don't die on the cross, I can't send the helper. He calls the Holy Spirit the counselor. You know what counselors do in marriages? Counselors will come in when your marriage is struggling. And the counselor will actually mediate between the husband and the wife. And he'll actually help you or she'll help you remind you of how much you love each other. 
During the great divorce of Genesis chapter 3, Adam causes a separation from the church, which is the bride of Christ. And God would resurrect not only so we could celebrate on Easter, but so that he could send his spirit onto the earth. Because guess what? If Jesus didn't die on the cross and he stayed alive, we would be limited to an audience personally with him, and we would all have to get on a plane and fly to Tel Aviv and have to find some arena that would hopefully fit the crowd that Jesus would gather. But the moment that Jesus died on the cross, it said that veil of the temple, which actually only a couple people every year had access to, the high priest, was ripped from top to bottom. And it was signifying that the presence of God that was behind the veil is now available to everyone that's outside of the veil. And guess what? The Holy Spirit came as the counselor. And the counselor comes to us today and he says, guess what? I am the spirit of Jesus. So if you, if you don't like Jesus, you won't like the Holy Spirit. But if you like Jesus, you should love the Holy Spirit. It says that he was full of the spirit without measure. It says he was full of grace and he was full of, are you still with me today? And I love this. I feel like someone needs to hear this today is that the Holy Spirit comes and his job is in church is to remind us as the counselor of how amazing the groom is. You lived your whole life divorced from the presence of Jesus. And the counselor says, come on, let him in. He says, wherever Jesus is magnified, the Holy Spirit's there. He'll be in the midst. The Holy Spirit is the great counselor. And you're disenfranchised today because you had a bad religious experience. We are not a religious church. We're not a legalistic church. You can come as you are, but I'm telling you, when you encounter God, you will not leave as you came. We believe that Jesus is a friend of sinners, but he's also a maker of saints. And you will become more like Jesus in this church because you're going to spend time with him. And you always become like who you hang out. I feel like preaching this morning. You become like who you hang out with. Settle down, Mark. It's church. I'm, I'm sorry. It's Easter Sunday. It's our Super Bowl. Forgive me. But I want you to know that God, listen to me very clearly today, is he actually loves, he loves the disenfranchised. And I want to say secondly, there's people in here that God told me, he said, Mark, would you please tell them that I love them so much? And I'm tired. I'm saddened by having partial custody of them. I prayed for you this week. You know, I felt God say something. I'll be honest. Preachers get excited because every Sunday everyone shows up to church. And the next week, hardly anybody comes back. And you're super high one Sunday and super low the next Sunday. I don't, and honestly, I really don't care who shows up. I'm going to preach the same way. I want you to know this, though. I felt like I was praying for it. I said, God, what do I tell people that only come to church once a year, twice a year? What would be some? What would you, if, if you could stand on this platform and talk to all of your kids, what would you want them to, to hear? And you know what I heard the Holy Spirit tell me to tell you? He said, tell them that I don't want partial custody. He doesn't just want to see you on weekends every once in a while. I came from a divorced family. I remember the agony of saying goodbye to one person that I loved so I could spend time with another person I loved. I hated airplanes, which is funny because I spent the last 10 years on a lot of airplanes. And I hated airports because every time I got on a plane, I was leaving my mom in California to go visit my dad in LA. And as soon as I got on the, on the, uh, on the plane, I'd go, okay, I'm going to see dad. And as soon as I spent a month or two with dad, I had to go back to the airport and I'd have another crying festival of saying goodbye to my father so I could fly back to California and live during the school year with my mother. And I hated the fact that I couldn't have the two people that I love in the same place. 
You know why God hates divorce? Because it reminds him of Genesis chapter 3. But you know why God loves the resurrection on Easter Sunday? Because it reminds all of eternity of the great annulment. It reminds creation that through the actions of Jesus Christ, he, he actually caused an annulment of the divorce that separated God from his bride. God does not want partial custody of any of you. He wants full custody. Are you hearing me today? And the biggest thing people ask me is, Mark, can you really know God and can you really hear his voice? I want to encourage you to come back next week. Because I'm going to start a series next week called Close. And the whole idea is, is that you can actually live your flipping life. Forgive me for getting excited. Close to God. Jesus isn't a God to know at a distance. How do you know that? Because it says he's in a whisper. You know why God whispers? Because you can't hear somebody whispering unless you're... I'll preach that next week. I'm telling you that God does not want you to live far. He wants you to live close. And I don't know who you are today, but I couldn't stop really praying for you all week that you grew up in a religious environment that you just lost your faith because it was the body of Jesus without the breath. Are you here today and you say, Mark, I just feel like I... I just feel like God's good. I know, I know he's a good father. I've sang, I've sang Chris Tomlin's song. He's a, it's who you are. I'm loved by you. But I'll be honest, I know you're good, but you're only good enough to visit two or three times a year. And I just feel like the heart of God says he's so good that he wants full custody. I don't care if you come to this church every week, but I, I do think that going to church does not make you a Christian, but going to church actually helps you worship and become like the community that you're worshiping with. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.